15 verses. In chapter 11, David has sinned greatly. Uh, with his adultery with Bathsheba and the murdering of Uriah. But the thing about sexual sin is when it comes full circle, it involves victims, other victims than you would think necessarily. David has been disobedient to God by adding wives. Uh, that had been forbidden by God, that the kings would add horses, had wives, and, you know, they were to be dependent upon the Lord. But David had a history of lusting sexually. This temptation to satisfy his lust, it caught up with him in the adultery with Bathsheba, and we find David a man of God resorting to murdering Uriah, attempting to cover up, conceal his sexual sin. Instead of David confessing his sin and dealing with that lust problem that he had, he succumbs to sexual temptation, and it leads him to be a murderer. Now, David, without a question, admired Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, because Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was one of the guys that had proven himself strong and courageous, and David admired him. But in David's plan uh, for Uriah was for him to come home to have relationships with his wife and cover up the fact that Bathsheba is pregnant with David's child. But Uriah, he foils his plan. Uriah then, in David's own eyes, had to die because he wouldn't go along with David's plan unknowingly. And sin has reared its ugly head, and this man of God, David, falls victim to sin. Not just regular sin, but the greatest of all sins, murder. Because David had refused to deal with his sexual temptations, and he suffers a great consequence among his own family. Because sin now reigns in David's life. David is about to learn God's judgment upon his sin via Nathan the prophet. So let's look at Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought 
and nourished, bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate at his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. This is a real pet, I guess. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did his this thing and because he had no pity. God sends his prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan has been given a message by God for David. I don't think for a moment that this story that Nathan relays to David is just a, a parable type story. I believe that all the parables Jesus told were real life examples. I don't believe Jesus had to make up stories. And I don't believe Nathan is making up a story here. I think this is a true life event. David believes it's a true life event uh, that Nathan is telling him. And, he's, and David's angry at this rich man, greatly aroused, it says. And David, he rightly interprets this, and he says, uh, the rich man is to restore that lamb fourfold. In other words, he's supposed to give the poor guy four lambs for the one he took. But then we see David demand that the rich man die. And that is not right. That is not lawful. This rich man is without pity, and so is David. And that will come home to him. And we have a principle uh, that is exposed here. We are normally, usually I should say, most severe in the area that we are most weak we notice it real quick in others. David accused this rich lamb owner of having no pity. Calls for his death. He shall surely die. Die for taking a lamb. But Nathan is about to drop the bombshell on David. And it's all the Lord's doing. So let's read verses 7 through 15. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, 
The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David is told he is the rich man of no pity. No pity, no compassion. And by the way, David, you're the king over my people. You should have pity. You should have compassion. And out of your own mouth, you said, this man shall surely die. And then God declares, you're that man, David. And then God will give, through Nathan, an assessment, a look at David. And God recites David's history. I anointed you king over Israel. This takes David back to when Samuel the prophet came to his father's house and Samuel would not anoint David's brothers, but he asked Jesse, David's father, do you have any other son? He said, yeah, I got one. He's out keeping the sheep though. And so Samuel has Jesse send for David and he won't anoint what appears to be the next king until David comes. And with the entire family there, David is anointed king by the prophet Samuel. And it had to be that Samuel anointed David. And then God continues, and David, I delivered you from the hand of Saul who wanted to kill you. And he wanted to kill you on several occasions. You received, David, my protection and grace. I gave you your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And here, here's a verse that's really telling of God's goodness. And if that was not enough, I made you king and I made you rich, I would have given you much more. What a verse. It's not wrong to be rich. Might be wrong how we use our riches, but it's not wrong to be rich. I think sometimes we are in need or in want because we simply do not ask God. We may think, oh, that's a selfish prayer. I can't pray that. Uh, God said to David, I would have given you much more. 
and he was already extremely wealthy and king. But now God wants David to answer a question, his question. And his question to David is, why have you despised the commandments of the Lord and set your heart on doing evil? You have killed Uriah the Hittite by the sword of the people of Ammon, and you took his wife as your wife. God has called David the anointed one, the blessed one. But now God calls David on the carpet. God said to Job, after he justified himself so many, I'm going to ask you a question, Job, and oh, by the way, you will answer. He doesn't say to David, you will answer, but David had to answer in his own heart. And here's what I will do, David. The sword, war and strife shall never depart from your house. What a sentence. You are in for troubling times, David, and these troubles, they're going to come from within your family. But I want us to take, take a look at disobedience by David to God's command to David. And it's not a far stretch to say, look at our disobedience. Disobedience to direct commands by God, to, by David. And David is a believer. He's a man after God's own heart. Disobedience is not simply doing our own thing. It's not just being headstrong or stubborn. It's not looking at the options before us and just falling into choosing evil. Disobedience to the point where we despise the commands of God is willfully saying to God, I reject your leadership in my life. I choose my own way and my own pleasures and my will over your will. Somewhere along the line, some point in David's adultery in his murder of Uriah, David has said to God, my will be done. My way will prevail. David is saying, I choose the pleasures of sin. And David's choosing the pleasures of sins in God's eyes, it was to despise God. That's strong language. God has sent his prophet Nathan to David to deliver God's message to David. And the message is, why have you chosen to despise my commands to you, David? Have I not been good to you? Despise 
is to regard with contempt or scorn commands. Now, my opinion of despise meant just like super hatred, you know. (laughs) But to despise is to think scornfully. Who is God to tell me what to do is despising. I've heard people say, God gave me these sexual desires, so why is it sexual sin so bad? Basically blaming God. That, That kind of reasoning goes all the way back to Adam when he blamed God for his sin. It was the woman you gave me, God. So Adam blames Eve and God for his sinfulness. But back to David. David, you have sinned secretly, but I will chastise you publicly before all of Israel, and I will judge you, David, by having your wives taken from you openly and publicly. And that was a great shame. David abused the power that, and the authority that was given to him by God. And how did he abuse his power? By despising, scorning God's commandments. That hits a little close to home with me. In my youth, in my scornful days, I was scornful of God's commands to me. I made sinful choices. And they had repercussion for years in my life. So David would say to you, and I can add my name in, and Don will say to you, do not despise the commands of God. Choose carefully obedience. And I beg that of you. I don't want to see anybody have to suffer like David did or go through the similar suffering that I went through because we despise God's commandments. When David's judgment is spelled out, he pouts, he makes excuses. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And I believe this is David's greatest asset as a man of God. He is quick to repent. Nathan pronounces, you're the man. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. That quick. David, David just turns it around. I, I am guilty. And without hesitation, Nathan declares David the assurance of God's forgiveness. This bam, bam, it's right quick together. I think when God was speaking to Nathan, he wants Nathan to make sure David knows God's mercy and forgiveness is there. Nathan immediately tells David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. God shows mercy and grace to David the very moment David repents. 
And not only that, Nathan assures David, you will not die. Normally, if you were a murderer, there was no excuse for you. There was no sacrifice for you in the law. You were required to die if you committed murder. That was the death sentence. But God has gone beyond the law of Moses, and he said, I'm going to pardon you, David. I'm going to forgive you. Who can forgive sin? Well, the Pharisees knew that one, didn't they? Only God can forgive sins. And God wants David to know he is forgiven. And so I can encourage anyone. God wants to know, repent, and you're forgiven. But the consequences still have to come about. Years ago, when this has been maybe 30 years ago, when we lived in California, I had a dirty cop make confession to me of him selling drugs. He had repented of it, come back, asked the Lord to forgiveness. And he said to me, I've received forgiveness from the Lord. He says, therefore, I don't think I will have to suffer the penalty from the law and go to jail for my crime. He was surprised by the answer I gave him. And I said, you probably will do jail time. He was shocked that I would even say that. Forgiveness does not alleviate, pardon, the consequences of sinful behavior. It just makes us right with God. And that's big time. This cop was fearful of going to jail. But to jail he did go. He had to serve time. God is a God of mercy and grace. He chooses to be known for his love and his mercy and grace. But there's also a principle of God. Whatsoever you sow, you will also reap. You will pay the consequences. Sin has its penalty. And in David, it is explained to him by Nathan, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. David, you made it possible for God's enemies to speak evil of God by your sin. My sins, your sins, have an ugly implication on the character of God if we dare to call ourselves a Christian. We hear sinful men. We hear unbelievers declare, you Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Yes, many of us are. But you tell that person, but we're forgiven. And as an unbeliever, your sin remains. That's the only answer we can give them. Yeah. 
Nathan, he continues his word to David. And he tells David, this son that's born to you in Bathsheba will surely die. And then Nathan departs. The penalty of sin is severe. And many times it's much more severe than we dare to think. And I think that points us, gives us insight as to why God hates sin so much. He doesn't want us to suffer the penalty of sin. This week, read Psalm 51. We, we read the first six verses, I think, this morning. But Psalm 51, it exposes the heart of David in his life during this Bathsheba-Uriah episode. And we see how David's heart troubled him. We can avoid that troubling of the heart simply by being obedient to God. God measures our love to him by obedience. Just be obedient. And for heaven's sakes, and for your own peace of mind, and for your own good life, don't despise the commands of God. Don't scorn them. And if you're questioned about them by somebody that's an unbeliever, it's your opportunity to stand up for what is right. Sin has a consequence. Avoid that at all costs. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for restoring David, forgiving him, taking his sin away. But David then lived a troubling life through his family, through his sons, for his many sins, for his grievous sin before you. And Lord, we, we need to learn from David your, your commands. They're not burdensome, Lord. They're good commands. You want to keep us away from heartache and trouble. And so we look to you. Lord, don't let us fall into the trap of despising your commands or thinking them archaic or thinking them uh, uh, just trying to stop our pleasure. Lord, you're trying to keep us out of the pitfalls of life. And so we thank you for that. Give us a heart, Lord, that is quick to be obedient, quick to turn to you. And Lord, if, if, if there be any sin, we ask you to forgive us. Just forgive us and establish a right relationship in our heart with you again. We ask you to do this. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.